0: Shalom and welcome to Israel Policy Pod, Israel Policy Forum's podcast. I'm Eli Coaz.
1: And I'm Evan Gottesman.
0: So the ongoing Gaza border demonstrations, which have worsened on numerous occasions into violent clashes, could lead to a broader Israeli-Palestinian face-off.
1: The opportunities for something to go seriously wrong in Gaza are only compounded by the uncertainty along Israel's northern front. The United States, Syria, Iran, Russia, and Israel are increasingly at loggerheads over a number of issues. The Americans because of Bashar al Assad's use of chemical weapons recently, and the Israelis because Moscow and Damascus are increasingly insulating a growing Iranian presence inside of Syria.
0: So, to help us break this down and analyze recent developments out of Israel, we are joined by someone whose job it is to do precisely that. Dr. Shira Efron is the special advisor on Israel at the RAND Corporation Center for Middle East Public Policy. She's an associate policy researcher for RAND and a professor at the Pardee RAND Graduate School. Shira, thank you for for joining us.
2: Hi Eli, hi Evan. Thank you for having me.
0: So, let's start with the broader humanitarian situation in in Gaza. How bad is it right now? What are the what are the biggest issues?
2: You know, I appreciate the question because I find that the discussion about Gaza frequently focuses on, you know, Hamas and the Palestinian Authority and rockets and tunnels and Iron Dome and what have you, um, but not so much about the dangerous and urgent humanitarian crisis that really have brought Gaza uh, to what we see as a dire tipping point. And I think it's it's worth remembering that the protest we see that now, um, the March of Return, as it's called, is taking place against really an unprecedented humanitarian crisis in Israel. Um, Already a few years ago, before the deterioration of the last couple of years, uh, the UN warned that Gaza, by 2020, two years from now, would become an unlivable place. And this projection has been updated. And I think there are a lot of people that would say that already today, um, Gaza is unlivable. Um, It's the fourth most densely populated area in the world. Um, the territory, I think it's about 200 square miles, a population of close to 2 million. Uh, the population is continue to is continuing to grow. Um, on average, a Pel- Palestinian woman in Gaza has five children. And just to put some numbers on it, it means that by 23rd, 12 years from now, the population in Gaza could reach 3.1 million people, which would make it even more um, unsustainable. Um, 60% of youth are unemployed in Gaza and youth unemployment uh, matters because 70% of the population is considered youth. Um, In the larger population, we're talking about 43% of unemployment. Um, Even those that are employed, their salaries have been cut substantially and we we can get to it. Um, So there's no income generation in Gaza. Beyond unemployment and poverty, you you asked about the most uh, pressing issues uh, we can talk about basic services that are just unavailable. Dr- drinking water is um, scarce and contaminated. Um, the infrastructure is crumbling. Electricity is available on average for four to six hours per day. It would be four hours of electricity and then uh, a power outage for um, another, followed by 16, 18, 20 hours of um, power cut. Raw sewage is flowing into the streets and the Mediterranean Sea. Um, the most recent figure that we have is about 110,000 cubic meters of sewage, untreated sewage, flows to, flows to the sea every day. And I think it's hard to wrap our heads around what this quantity means. Um, so I calculated it's equivalent to 43 Olympic-sized swimming pools. That go into the water every day, and by and by the way, I mean this is not a Gaza problem. Uh, guess where the sewage is going? Because of it's not something that anyone. Um, it, it's not premeditated, but but because of the current, uh, the currents in the Mediterranean, the surge is flowing directly toward Israel. Didn't that
0: reach? Uh, didn't that reach Ashkelon recently? And I think uh, I think the beach was closed or something of that of that nature because of I, it
2: exactly absolutely 70 times to- several several times um, the Ashkelon desalination plant which provides Israel with 20% of its water um, has been shut down to due to the contamination from Gaza the plant is just not strong enough to process this type of pollution and the beaches are frequently closed Um Heads of regional councils and towns around Gaza constantly warn uh, against the pollution in their uh, territories. So this is this is real risk that uh, you know it's not just it doesn't just affect Gaza. Um,
1: so this seems like a really in-your-face, obvious humanitarian problem. Both, as you're saying, both for Gaza and as you just mentioned for Israel also. So why do you think um, it's it's gone untreated, the problem, or, or mostly untreated? Um, For this long,
2: you know, there's there's another side to this um, water problem. We spoke about sanitation, but there's also the problem of lack of availability of. Of drinking water and drinking and water for sanitation, water for you know washing hands for um, for um, bathing for cooking, um, and I think we need to speak about Gaza has been suffering a chronic water crisis for decades. It has not started with Hamas. It has not started with Israel. You know, some of it is just due to the tyranny of geography. There's just no water in that part of the world, right? Israel solved its water problems uh, thanks to very sophisticated technologies, but. But but some of it is just the fact that there's no water. Um, but the, the crisis has worsened substantially in the, in the, let's say, over the last decade uh, since Hamas took over of um, the Gaza Strip uh, because of a variety of factors. So, first of all, there was an old infrastructure that needs maintenance. It needs repairs. Um, there have been recurring conflicts between Hamas and Israel, right? Since 2009, there were three wars in five years. And lastly, and I think this is a uh, fundamental um, issue, there have been embargoes on construction materials and other supplies, uh, which basically slow down any repair work that you need to do with the infrastructure. Uh, both from Israel and Egypt um, maintain, they keep their, um, sorry, just edit this, but but uh, let's talk about this. Both of them um place severe restrictions on um, entrance of materials that would need it to basically uh, fix the, 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 the water um, and um, sanitation sectors. Israel specifically maintains um, a list. It's called a dual use list. It's of items that can be used um, to, for uh, civilian projects, but also that Hamas and other uh, groups, militant groups, can use in, um, to, to, to um, fight against Israel. On this list, there are literally thousands of items, uh, including pipes that would be needed for uh, water infrastructure.
1: So, given the water crisis um, and the contamination and the pollution, um, there's a significant risk of, you know, a cholera outbreak, and that's something that could reach Israel because, you know, a, a illness doesn't observe political borders. Um, so, what would what would happen um, in the Event that you had some sort of epidemic in Gaza, um, and what would be the result for the surrounding communities in Israel? And on top of that, uh,
0: maybe if you could also explain where where Gazans get most of their water currently—is it from the coastal uh, aquifer?
2: No. So okay. So th- th- let's l- let me start with just first of all the availability of of actual just water for drinking. Um, there's only one uh, source of fresh water, which is the aquifer. 97 percent of this water, water is unsafe today, because it's infiltrated by seawater and again sewage. Um, there are private vendors that provide water in Gaza, but those are unregulated and unmonitored. No one knows what's in these waters. Palestinians in Gaza would go with, you know, with. Um, just basic water bottles and fill them, fill their bottle water, uh, water bottles from 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 um, water tanks that no one knows uh, the quality of the water. Um, a very small minority in Gaza can afford to buy purchased bottled water, but those are extremely expensive. They can uh, reach up to a third of the family income. Um, and what has happened as a result is. This, because of insufficient supply of water, um, it doesn't only affect the drinking; it also affects uh, personal hygiene, hand washing, bathing, um, cleaning, food utensils, floors. Um, we know it also affects uh, the the sanitation uh, conditions in uh, hospitals. Um, you know, it it, it, it just heartbreaking to learn that even in um, schools in Gaza uh, today, there's one drinking pot, that drinking point, one faucet for washing hands per 158 children. So children in schools are not even washing their hands. Now, you correctly mentioned the health issue. Um, we know from at at the ram corporation where i work are we 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 have uh, ample evidence that water quality and quantity is important is important for um health plenty of health reasons and you mentioned cholera but there are different types of contamination um that are waterborne and we can talk about cholera we can talk about polio hepatitis a Thai food and acute diarrhea. And I'm sorry I'm talking about um, diarrhea in a podcast, but, uh, <laughs> but this is a real threat to public health in Gaza, and by the way, even meningitis. Cholera has been the most uh, frequently mentioned, and if you think about what causes uh, cholera, what has caused cholera in Iraq, in Yemen, in Haiti, I mean, we talk about population density, mass gatherings, uh, low access to safe water and poor sanitation and all these conditions now exist in Gaza. And
0: for, for our list, can you explain what cholera is what what exactly that disease is?
2: The cholera is just is a disease itself and it's it's acute diarrhea and it's caused by ingestion of food or water that's uh, contaminated with the bacteria the, the bacterium cholera. Um Now it affects children and adults and it can kill within hours to a few days if untreated. Um, And it happens mostly because of sewage. So um, if we talk about, um, I think it's actually, could be um, useful to talk about it, how it happened in Haiti. Look back in uh, 2010 um, after the devastating earthquake in Haiti, there was a cholera epidemic. Um, outbreak that maybe illustrates how easily this could happen in the right environment. Uh, There were Nepalese peacekeepers that lived outside of Port-au-Prince and um, it's because the water and sewage infrastructure um, was devastated by the earthquake. Uh, which meant there was a lot of, which meant that um, um, Haitian, Haitian population Port-au-Prince had to use the river for drinking and washing. But at the same time, uh, peacemakers from Nepal uh, lived outside um, in the city in camps and used it for defecation um, and you know, and and um, and the, the 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 contact of sewage with with um, the the fact that uh, that. Uh, People were uh, contacted by um, um, by water contaminated by the cholera. Meant that uh, it brought to the death of uh, over 4,500 people. Um, it hurt uh, 300,000 people in uh, total. And um, it, the epidemic spread really rapidly because the sewage infrastructure was not working, and the water hasn't either. And this 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 applies also to the Gaza case. Um, Now, lessons learned afterwards was very clear that there were insufficient uh, rehydration supplies to treat patients. Um, They, it was very clear that there were no investments in uh, piped treated drinking water, and the overall improvement in sanitation uh, all all over Haiti was really um, um, stalled. Um, And that, 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 you know, we can talk about the situation now in Gaza. Oh, sorry. And another lesson that was learned is that um, you needed more community and house, household health problem uh, pro- programs, uh, teaching proper hand washing and hygiene practices, um, safe disposals of trash and different purification techniques. Now, when you, we look at Gaza, <laughs> uh, you don't have any of these things um it's it's possible that the health clinics in Gaza may say oh we can detect cholera very quickly but all the infrastructure investments are much more long term and can spread easily outside and by the way again you, we we mentioned the sewage before um uh, although limited of um, people and goods between Gaza and Israel and Egypt and the rest of the region is very um, low, it's still a uh, cholera outbreak uh, would not be confined to Gaza if God forbid it happened.
0: And yeah, and I think that's I- exactly the point. I believe it was Pauli Mordechai said recently that he's the head of uh, Kogat um, that there there may be a border around Gaza, but there's no border to these uh, to these diseases. So what? What is the, who's really dealing with this water crisis? Is Hamas dealing with it? Is it Anra? What is Israel, see its role? Um, And what's really happening to combat what could, what is already a a horrible uh, uh, situation?
2: Well, I don't think anyone is actually dealing with it. I think some people say it. Um, and they mention it and it's been mentioned in the press and Paul Mordechai is doing everything he um, maybe is in his power to do but no one is seriously dealing with it um, I've heard it from Egyptian officials that off the record said that there's no there's no plan right if if something happened Um i also understand that in israel there's no simulation there's no coordination to think about how would you deal with it if there was a cholera outbreak in gaza you need a very uh, you need a swift response we know nothing is swift when it comes to gaza to get out of gaza to get something into gaza it takes days it could take weeks here we're talking about the players themselves don't speak to each other you would be, need a coordinated response from israel egypt hamas the Palestinian Authority and the international community who coordinates all that. Um, even officials at uh, WHO that I spoke to say that, you know, it would be really good to, to sort of simulate this uh, situation and uh, scenario that we all hope is never going to happen, but that has not been done so far. Um, You mentioned UNRWA, and this is something that – UNRWA is a very central player in Gaza.
1: Can you explain Uh, uh, UNRWA just for our listeners who might not be familiar with the acronym or the organization?
2: Okay, so UNRWA is um, uh, a UN um, refugee agency that is dedicated to the Palestinian refugees. Um, its largest donor so far, um, although that that is changing now, but traditionally its largest donor has been the United States. It's been active in Gaza for almost 70 years, and um, it really doesn't have any substitute in Gaza. It um, provides services for 1.4 million Palestinians in Gaza, so the majority of the population. It operates 270 schools. Uh, employs 10,000 teachers and um, and provides education to 260,000 students only in Gaza. Um, also, in terms of health, it operates 22 primary health clinics, and it employs over 1,000 health uh, staff. And I believe they provide 4 million patient um, uh, patient visits every every year in Gaza. Now. Um, uh, it's it's an organization not without its problems. Um, its facilities have been used in the past to store ammunitions uh, that could um, be launched against Israel. It also has a record of uh, inaccurately reporting the numbers of registered refugees and a history of hiring members of terror groups. Uh, to be fair toward them, they've been cracking on these issues in recent years uh, much more seriously. But still, it remains it's an organization that... Um, Many officials in Israel now in the United States um, don't particularly like. Um, I think there's doesn't
0: the uh, their educational. I mean, I'm sure that's in, that's influenced obviously by Hamas, but the they also run run the schools, and so a lot of the their educational curriculum has come under. It's under like built criticism. around right.
1: It's built around like right of return and like refugeedom. The 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 educational curriculum, correct?
2: So uh, there, there, are a lot of discussion about that. It's actually there's more uh, that the international community can supervise the books because they're produced by the UN than we would think. So now, what's actually being taught in the classroom? For that, you need uh, to actually sit in the classrooms, which you no know, none of us do. But but there's actually uh, more supervision on UNRWA books than um, people think. Um, but you know. Uh, the criticism, I think, is 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 in place. It hasn't been this sort of like naive actor that doesn't take sides in the UN, but still, um, it does not have any substitute in Gaza, whereas in Jordan or in Lebanon, and other places where there are um, Palestinian refugees, you have other UN refugee agencies that can deal with the Palestinian refugees there, or uh, where the World Health Organization, the World Food Programme operate in Gaza, it's all UNRWA, <laughs> they do everything. Uh-huh. Um, the funding cuts that are proposed by uh, the US administration would be devastating to UNRWA and, and according to the people that I speak with on the ground, already are being felt and the first things that we'll so just
0: just up. to re, re, just quickly, so the Trump administration has cut fifty percent of unre aid is that correct
2: so uh, of the first payment, fifty percent of the first payment, we don't know yet about subsequent payments okay, so, so it could good. be worse um, according to reports uh, when Netanyahu was in uh, Washington last uh, for the APAC meeting. Um, He had a meeting with uh, President Trump, and again, according to reports, apparently uh, Netanyahu voiced his support for cutting uh, funds to UNRWA, but not in Gaza. So Israel understands that, that despite uh, their dislike of this organization, they still understand that it provides critical services, even in the stuff that we spoke about, in terms of projects, sanitation, water, schools, uh, health clinics. Uh, with hospitals being shut down due to electricity crisis, it's mostly UNRWA that is holding this whole thing together.
1: So, given um, UNRWA's role and the Trump administration's um, not so friendly attitude towards them, and um, the same same coming from the the Israeli side, at least in the same coming from the Israeli side, at least in the political echelon. Um, do you see the the politics of the situation um, encumbering um, the possibility of a solution to the humanitarian crisis?
2: Um, unfortunately, I don't see I don't see a solution now. Um, there are a lot of really big projects that people are talking about, uh, gas for Gaza, connecting Gaza to uh, natural gas um, reservoirs, um, dedicated lines, uh, power plants. These are all very long-term projects that each and every one of the sides, including the international community, is very happy to um, promote. The problem that they didn't address immediately—the humanitarian crisis—you need much more to think much more short term and in terms of stabilization and the political. It's all as you said. I mean, this is a man-made crisis. All these problems have um, technical solutions that, with available technologies today, can be resolved. Um, but but something some things can be done. Um, both Israel and uh, Egypt. Are going to be the first one to get hurt by the situation. Um, to um, have, make sure that the economic situation is improved, uh, Israel needs to authorize more uh, Palestinian workers from Gaza to enter Ga- to enter Israel. Um, there are thousands of Palestinians from Gaza who have been approved by Israeli security services, yet still don't um, are not allowed to get out to work in Israel. Um, exports from Gaza are the lowest that they've ever been. Um, Same goes for, um, I mentioned already, the dual use list. Um, Israel has to facilitate the entry of materials that would fix the infrastructure and um, include, these include, by the way, medicines. Um, I think there's a shortage of 50% of medicines in in, uh, Gaza now. Um, e- e- Egypt also, but it really uh, most goods go through Israel. Right. Uh, the dual use list. Um, I, I think no one, you know, no one right. questions the security concerns that Israel has. Israel has valid security concerns, but um, it's in Israel's best interest to do some sort of cost-benefit analysis. It's like, okay, we stop um, something from going in. This thing can be used to produce a Qassam um rocket and but it can also be used to repair um right a a water plant and and prevent cholera so all these things have to be weighed against each other right it's
1: definitely a a difficult equation for them to to balance the the security concerns with how it can be used to alleviate the problem and along those lines you mentioned that the big ideas these big projects are in the long term if at all possible so what can what can be done in the near term what are the Um, immediate options that the the relevant parties can take to at least partly alleviate the situation in Gaza?
2: Well, so the first thing that I would say is um, do not defund uh, UNRWA. Uh, Bring back the funding. Uh, Make sure that the pledges to UNRWA um, are immediately um, fulfilled restore the previous uh, funding to UNRWA, maybe additional funding is needed, because this is at the very um, stabilization. Um, Also, there are um, ongoing reconstruction uh, projects that are going on, even on things that are required in the very short term, and Israel can facilitate them. It should not take weeks to approve the the entry of materials into Gaza. Um, There's enough experience there, and Israel can do it much faster. the um, Palestinian authority um is um uh, also a player in this they are holding back they are holding back um um funding for rehabilitation of the Gaza water network uh so even if is you know it just, these are things that can happen very quickly uh if all these political players decide to work together um The PAO is also dragging its feet um, in negotiations with some sort of commercial agreements on additional electricity. Also, fuel supplies. I mean, the UN goes and begs players in the international community to provide fuels so they can continue to power generators so the hospitals can continue to work. Fuels are expensive. They need to keep, uh, fuel reserves need to keep coming in. Um, But solar panels. Can offer an alternative. And this this should not take that long to um install. Uh, what you need is goodwill. I think also
0: Yeah, and I think that idea of, of goodwill and working together is something that's very far from the uh the three parties involved with Israel, Fatah, the Palestinian Authority, and and Hamas. Um it seems like the Palestinian Authority is kind of just taking a, a stance against uh, Hamas and kind of punishing the residents of Gaza in doing that while as kind of to create a situation where there may be another conflict with Israel and Hamas and a situation uh, where the Palestinian Authority can maybe regain some sort of control uh, of Gaza. So it seems that it's not in the interest of the Palestinian Authority to to improve Gaza if Hamas will get the the credit for it, in a way.
2: It's, I get, you know, I guess this is true, and that, and that's how they are thinking. But we are talking about two million Palestinians who live there. Of course,
0: yeah, of course. So, I mean,
2: um, so yes, they don't want uh, this strategy, and it doesn't be just the PA strategy, but in the Israeli strategy and in the international community, you don't want to reward Hamas, right? So you limit reconstruction, you limit the improvement of quality of life um, so that Hamas does not reap the fruit. But the question is, um, <laughs> to, what, to what end? Um, and is this strategy working? Um, you know, at the start of the Trump presidency, Abbas announced, really sweeping an unprecedented wave of sanctions against Hamas. Um, uh, elect, elect, cutting up uh, electricity payments, um, um, really subsidizing Hamas, which is something that I understand they didn't want to do, but they cut the salaries to PA employees in Gaza, right? So since then, most of them had to stay home um, and are, are now unemployed. Um Also, uh, the PA doesn't let Gaza patients from obtaining insurance needed for medical treatments outside of Gaza. With all due respect to to wanting to punish Hamas, uh, who does it affect at the the end of the day?
0: And also, I think there's a, a misconception that if the humanitarian situation improves in Gaza... All, I mean, I'm of the personal belief that that will weaken Hamas actually, because it will it will show uh, that the the Palestinians can uh, can have better lives and can can live uh, normally side by side uh, with Israel.
1: Right, because as long as as long as they're suffering, then Hamas is like this paragon of resistance and resistance both to Israel and to their their supposed subcontractor in the PA in Hamas's rival. So, um, yeah, what do, what do you think the, the political fallout would be or the political implications of people's standard of living improving in Gaza?
2: Look, it's, it's hard to say. There's been this playbook. We've seen it in the three previous wars. Every time Hamas has its... Back against the wall, even if it's not interested in full-fledged uh, military conflict with Israel. There's escalation that starts uh, slowly. We're seeing it now um, also. Um, then there's a conflict. Um, fortunately, a lot of people on both sides uh, die and get hurt. And after that, there's a, a, a high-prof international conference and rehabilitation of Gaza Um begins so it's almost a mechanism for uh alleviating situation in Gaza through war um since 2007 i mean i don't think uh, if you look at polls that are done in gaza hamas is not very popular but the pa isn't popular either um so i think the strategy of of hoping that hamas would go away that something better would come instead that the pa would just return to gaza um, Uh, And by the way, they had an opportunity to come back to Gaza. Basically, Hamas gave up on the civilian affairs of the Strip. They realized they can't manage Gaza. They just, they failed at it. Um, But, um, and the PA was able and invited to return to the crossings, but has the situation improved since then? No, I think it's hard to predict what's gonna happen politically, but um, I don't think Hamas is going anywhere under any circumstance. That um, maybe it is time to revisit um, the complete boycott of Hamas and this approach, by the way, that the PA is taking, also of the all or nothing. Unless Hamas gives up its uh, military wing right now and uh, agrees to all the conditions that Israel and the international community uh, have posed, um, we will continue with this strategy. And maybe it's time for a more uh, gradual approach. Um not with the hope that uh Hamas will go away, but maybe with the hope of yes, offering some Palestinians in Gaza uh some some horizon for a better life.
1: Right. And that boy the political boycott of Hamas um, you know, I think is founded in good reason, given their their record of terrorism, but it's also a political boycott that seems to be exclusive to you know the US, Israel and, and Europe to some extent, because for a lot of other countries correct like China and Russia and India, like Hamas is just the government of Palestine for them. It's not um, an entity that they necessarily blacklist, but they're also not on the, you know, they're not major donors to UNRWA or to the strip.
2: Right, right. I mean, as, as you said, um, there is sound logic to boycotting Hamas. It's a terror organization. Um, it still calls for the destruction of Israel. Uh, it hurts innocent civilians. It, um, you don't have to go back too know. far
1: to the Second Intifada and also like the Oslo War in the 90s. Of course, and that. you
2: know, even now in the current state, right, the fuel intended for the use of Gaza power plant, they use it to for their own financial needs. They dug a tunnel, it was about a month, two months ago, I think, under Karim Shalom, the only lifeline to Gaza where uh, goods go in through the crossing from Israel. They dug a tunnel underneath it. So the, uh, no one, I'm not saying Hamas are the good guys, of course not. And there is, there is a rationale for, for the logic. The problem is if you, you've been doing the same thing now since, uh, uh, since the elections um, in, the Palestinian, in the Palestinian territories and since um, Hamas ousted uh, the PA from Gaza. And after you know, 11 years, it's time to think, has this been working? And Do unfortunately, you,
1: we can all say the answer is no. I mean, I think we, we agree about that their ideology being unreformed, being sort of the the sovereign or semi-sovereign in a specific territory. Do you think that cha- that's changed Hamas at all um, since they took over the Gaza Strip from being sort of a, a trans-border, stateless uh, organization? I
2: mean, Hamas is the de facto government of the Gaza Strip. Um the reconciliation process mediated by Egypt between Hamas and the PA was supposed to bring back the PA to Gaza. The PA got an opportunity to come and manage the crossings and um, um, and the civilian affairs and are really reluctant to do so, right? There are countries to speak in the international community to speak with Hamas, not sort of just Russia and China, but you talk about different European countries that do that, Um but the question, I think I think the broader question is, you know what what does Israel want? What does the United States want? What does the PA want? What's the long-term strategy of this? Um, is Hamas going to join the Zionist movement? Probably not. but can Israel and Hamas reach a clear uh, ceasefire arrangement? Maybe um, has the international community, including Israel um, offered, provided Hamas some, some constructive incentives to turn into a political party. Um, I'm, I'm not saying it's gonna work, but 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 the sanctions clearly don't work. So maybe you can define gradual steps that it would be willing to undertake the international community if Hamas was to agree to dismantle its military wing, which then would um, have make the PA um, accept the reconciliation uh, deal, which by the way is going nowhere now. Um,
0: um okay so maybe switching to the West Bank I think that it's fair to say that I mean we've never been further from a uh peace process and from for and from negotiations but what can uh do you think steps toward a two state solution or steps toward some sort of separation improving uh taking steps like freezing uh, settlements outside the blocks in the West Bank, and maybe reallocating parts of area C to areas A and B. How can these things to show that Israel has an intention of eventually uh, granting Palestinians a state? Can that help with Gaza? Could 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 the West Bank be used as kind of a way to show that there is an intention to uh, to give the Palestinians a? a better uh better life
2: so there there are quite a few you know assumptions in your question. I think there were really the right assumptions until uh, the last year. i first of all i'm I'm not convinced Israel um, even though on the record still supporting a Palestinian state or something short of a state, I'm not sure this is where Israel is heading
0: uh, I agree uh, I mean I completely. I completely agree with you, especially this Israeli government but i mean I think the the stability of this specific government it's it's definitely not a a for sure thing and I think it's a government that at best it, it's it's its days uh are numbered be it a matter of months or around a year so i mean if there is a Israeli government that wants to go on a path of uh separation i mean is there something that that can be done to kind of take the West Bank and use, uh, and, and kind of improve the West Bank to use it as a way of kind of, uh, dealing with Gaza and also the importance of treating, uh, the West Bank and Gaza as one entity, uh, that is, uh, the future Palestinian state.
2: So first of all, you know, we don't know what's going to be the fate of this, um, government. You're right that there will probably be elections and the government will, um, change I do not know if it will change in a more um, dovish uh, moderate a more uh, a government that will change in a more uh, two-state solution way where see could is uh, strengthening in um, in polls um so we'll have we'll have to see what happens in uh, that regard. So anyway, first of all, I'm just not convinced that we're going to see um, a government in Israel in the near future. That is the next elections. That is more uh, that supports a two-state solution uh, more than this one. But let's say we do, and let's say that Israel um, uh, provides constructive even unilateral steps uh, toward uh, separation from the Palestinians. And let's say there's a leadership in the West Bank and the PA that that, that responds and the international community is involved and puts this as a priority. These are a lot, a lot of assumptions. I think one of the worrying signs I hear from Israeli politicians, by the way also from Americans, is that uh, forget this idea of a Palestinian state that includes both gaza and the west bank our strategy should be to separate those entities forever it's not a new israeli strategy but it's becoming more of the mindset this is what we need to do uh, separate them talk in terms of like a three-state solution we already left gaza we'll find a way to deal with gaza expand its territory uh, ensure there's a, a, a consistent and forever um gap between the west bank and and gaza and This is an idea that's the assumption here goes that you can undermine the Palestinian nationalism, that Hamas and Fatah hate each other, and that the people of the West Bank are different from the people in Gaza, and that can happen. And if you speak with Palestinians, uh, they will tell you that you can't undermine their nationalism so uh, easily. So I'm of the thought that Even if you do constructive steps in the West Bank, they should still be geared toward eventually, uh, even though it's a non-contiguous, one Palestinian state that includes both Gaza and the West Bank. Um, I'm I'm just sadly saying that I'm not convinced this is where um, Israeli thinking is heading now.
1: Okay, that's very depressing, but um, (laughs) it's depressing, but it's probably a more accurate forecast than most people are willing to prescribe
0: I mean I would I would personally disagree only because I think that a lot of Israelis forget what Israel was before Benjamin uh, Netanyahu so I think that if he is not in the political uh, field I think things could potentially change but I'm but I'm optimistic
1: yeah, there's there, there's definitely a degree of BB fatigue but there
2: is and I you know I'm I- ran, we're notoriously non-partisan. I don't want to talk about specific politicians in Israel, but if you see um, Likud members who are not Benjamin Netanyahu, some of them are even more hawkish than him. We know that to be a Likud voter today, to be a member of the Likud party, you can vote in the primaries and elect your representatives. You need 64 shekels and an ID. (laughs) So all um, the uh, hundreds I think hundreds of thousands of people that support the settlement movements are members of the Likud today. Um, so that's why you see the Likud itself being more. You have Zev Elkin. You have you have other players that are there that are not uh, less hawkish than Netanyahu. You see uh, bills that are coming up for annexing more territory in Israel. I. I I hope uh, cooler heads would prevail, and I I hope Israel would learn from the from the experience that it it has now for quite a few years to that undermining the Palestinian nationalism doesn't doesn't help. Uh, but you hear it from uh, Victor Lieberman, you hear it from Naftali Bennett, and you hear it from other Likud people. And we're yet to hear what you know people like Gidon Saar and other contenders to Netanyahu within the Likud are saying.
0: Yeah, I mean from what I've heard from Gidon Tsar, he he's uh definitely more hawkish than Netanyahu on the Palestinian issue and he does not believe in any form of separation just uh he, I think he's on the the Likud annexation train. But I mean I think what has made uh Netanyahu so uh successful is his ability to kind of, kind of tread the line between uh between uh the one state, two state kind of paradigm and kind of continue with the status quo so once uh i mean i think once netanyahu is not uh, at the head of the likud there i mean we'll we'll get closer to the, the the fork in the road where israelis will have to decide between two to uh to i mean the the one state route and the uh and and eventual separation so i mean that's kind of makes me a bit optimistic
2: i i mean you know, you know where I stand personally. So, you know, I I want to stay optimistic. I think that this annexation thing is just a big. It's clearly uh, it, it's craziness, right? The implications for Israel would be just crazy on all um, on security, all security,
0: economic, like internationally Cash. across the board.
2: Right, crazy. But I think no one even talking about annexing Gaza. So <laughs> neither of these paths even. Um, In any way, shape or form that Israel is going to do whatever it wants to do, they can't get rid of two million people that are stuck in Gaza. (laughs) And there are all these ideas of, oh, Egypt should deal with them. Egypt should give them some territory. This is not happening.
1: No, it's definitely something that you can't just ignore. And it's something that's not going to just go away. So it's probably a topic that, unfortunately, we're going to have to continue to revisit um, for some time to come. Um, I, I think that that's, seems to be the, the outlook from here.
2: Right. The question is whether we're going to talk about it again before the cholera outbreak or
1: after. You know? I hope for, for everyone's sake, it's, it's before. So okay. anyways, Shira, thank you for joining us. Um, it was a really great conversation.
0: Yeah, and it's great to get such a, such an in-depth understanding of, of the problems uh, in Gaza. I mean, I think a lot of us know that there is a humanitarian crisis, but we don't uh, really know what that, what that means. And I think you've helped us uh, kind of figure that out.
2: Um, thank you. Thank you, Evan. Thank you, Eli.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, you can learn more about Israel Policy Forum's work online at www.israelpolicyforum.org. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Telegram.